Welcome to the Dietitian's Dish Podcast. We are Gina and Nicole, two dietitian mamas and good friends living in Ohio and Michigan. This is a podcast dedicated to making whole family wellness more fun and less stressful. Whether you're listening in the car or slumped on the couch with a glass of wine, welcome. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us. I'm Nicole. And I'm Gina. And today we are dishing up another episode in our self-care series, today being on the topic of weight loss and whether or not it could be a form of self-care. So before we begin, just a quick favor to ask, if you like this podcast, please write us a review. Reviews on iTunes are everything to us and they really help us reach more people. So of course we'd appreciate it. All right. Um... So just to kind of reintroduce, it's been a bit with with self-care, but uh, this series is once a month focusing on a new area of self-care. We know life gets overwhelming for all of us and the sense of getting lost in the sea of to-dos, worry, and anxiety seems inevitable. Uh, Self-care can be described as the active process of making your body and mind a pleasant place to inhabit uh, by filling your own cup first, which ensures you have enough to give others. With a huge topic like self-care, we're unpacking it a topic at a time. And so today on weight loss or not, whether it's a form of self-care. So to get us started a bit, I wanted to just kick off with uh, the mention that weight loss referenced in today's episode is in response to improved health, uh, not an improved appearance. So I think that's a very important place to kind of start like ground rules for the day, for the discussion. Uh, and you and I, Gina, we've talked a lot about uh, on the show, weight status is so subjective. We, in my book club last night, somebody said, quoted you and said, over what, like what, over what weight? Like what, they, they love that quote mm-hmm. from you. And it is subjective. It's minimally controlled. We talked about that on a recent show. And it's not always indicative of health. Um, in fact, it's, sometimes not indicative of health whatsoever. And that said, in full transparency, I shared with you, Gina, and you kind of bucked that I recently lost about 20 pounds. Um, And that was really what spurred the conversation on today about weight loss as a form of self-care. So you came back and you challenged my why. And here we are. So beyond, I guess, what we generally associate with weight loss, namely health and appearance, there are other potential benefits uh, to maintaining or achieving a weight that supports your living your best life. And again, that may not be the weight that you want, but it's a weight that is is supporting your best life. So improved energy, improved sleep, improved self-esteem, mental mental health, and stress management as well. Uh, So the question then becomes, what is the driver for weight loss? And for me, uh, in in my recent kind of shed was both my cholesterol and specifically my triglycerides for the first time had gone above 180, uh, 150, I'm sorry. And my LDL was, um, continues to be, you and I both battled this, Gina, a higher LDL. And mm-hmm. also the way my body was feeling in response to my routine exercise. So it wasn't that I had started a new something with exercise, but I was just feeling the addition of pounds that I haven't had before. Uh, and it was hurting. It My joints hurt. I wasn't finding my movement joyful any longer. And so while that's a little embarrassing to share, and I'll talk a little bit about of the why and how I got there. Um, I also started to see myself snoring more. Mark was mentioning just how much I was snoring. And I started to just think about these risk factors for like sleep apnea creeping up on me. And it scared me. And and so that was really kind of what drove my recent um my recent weight loss. Very, very modest. I I have I have 
you know, <laughs> on the, 20 pounds on my body is, is probably not enough for even most people to notice. So jumping into questions, the first one, um, you and I, Gina, have slightly different spins on our health philosophies. We reviewed them on the last uh, two episodes ago. And I'm not sure if you agree, but I feel that some of, of, of our like, philosophy stems from our lived experiences. And that said, is there a time or circumstance where you could see weight loss as a form of self-care? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, of course, you can probably guess my answer. I would say no. I, I truly believe that weight loss is is just not maintainable. It's not sustainable. It's fleeting. It honestly turns into a constant job of trying to lose weight and then keeping it off, which is pernicious. And in the long run, I don't believe it's good self-care. Now, do I think that changing your health habits that may lead to weight loss is good self-care? Absolutely. Getting better sleep, nourishing your body, self-nurturance, reducing or eliminating alcohol, All of those things are good self-care. They may or may not lead to weight loss, but when you're focusing on the actual scale and weight loss itself, that is not self-care, good self-care, and that actually promotes really poor mental health, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, I guess... I I have been talking about this a lot with friends. I always said I like at night I get in the shower and I'm just I'm lost with my thoughts around this. So yeah. I think where I've settled is that health habits are a a leading measure of health or like a I don't know a, a measure, but it's the weight that is the lagging measure. So right, so you're talking about the health habits, but if your body is to respond to health habits or not, that's going to be a lagging measure, right? You're, you're doing these health habits because they make you feel better. It's, you know, it's improved health. But if the weight follows, is that really just a cause and effect relationship? Like, does it really, is this just semantics, I guess? Any thoughts on that? Like, I get not focusing on weight, but if it's a result, is that bad? No. Absolutely not. If I, in my opinion, if you start to really focus on improving your health habits and you do lose weight, then yeah, your health habits were astray. There was probably, there probably was something that was lacking. You know, you weren't sleeping eight hours, seven hours a day, and therefore your uh, ghrelin levels were higher and you were eating more and not listening to your body. So yeah, you lose weight, but it's not because, um, but it's because you changed your health habits. If you change your health habits, but you're not focusing on anything but just changing those health habits, and your weight happens to fall, that's great. But if your weight doesn't fall, where we get caught up is that we think to ourselves, we're not doing, we're still not doing well enough. Our weight hasn't fallen. Our health habits haven't improved well enough when maybe they have. Maybe you've done plenty to improve your health habits and you're so much healthier than before. But we as a society are so focused on that number. And if we don't see it budge, we think we're failures. And that's where we go wrong. Your weight might not budge and that is okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, yeah, I don't have anything else to say. I, I, I just, <laughs> I, it, it, but it, and if it budges again, it's like, well, it, it doesn't mean that you're any better than the other person making improved health, you know, improving their health habits and whose weight did budge. Um, it just mean, I mean, it just means that, yeah, I don't even know what it means. It's, we're all different. You know, it's just like men who lose, you know, 10 pounds in a week and women have to, you know, will quote unquote struggle their whole life just to lose one pound or whatever, you know, men lose weight faster. That's just how it is. 
Some people will lose weight. Some people won't. Some people will gain weight. Some people will gain weight when they're intuitive eaters. Some people will lose weight. It doesn't make you, it doesn't mean that you're better at intuitive eating or worse at it. It just means that's how your body is. And until we accept that, we'll never be happy. Mm -hmm. That is my opinion. Yeah. And we're not going to go here today because we certainly don't have time. But (laughs) I'm sure you know that there is so much emerging research around hormones and weight, right? Like ghrelin, GLP-1, GIP, like all of those things play such an integral role in weight that those things are not going to be affected by intuitive eating. Right. And if those, if if there is just foundational hormonal imbalances in the body that cannot be shifted with lifestyle, like where does that leave people? Anyway, that's a whole nother topic. But mm-hmm. I, you know, it was the summer and, and I share this with you. It was, I don't know. Could I, could I say I was being intuitive? I was definitely having fun. Um, I shared that we summered hard and it was in the summertime. I found that we were on a boat at the pool or at the beach pretty much every free moment. And it was, I had this like bolt out of work every day. And it was like, get me in the sunshine. And I just kind of shelved a lot of my workouts, which after work is my time. And I just found that I was, and I exercise very intensely by choice. I love it. Uh, But that created definitely a shift, Um, you know, just foods away from home, a little bit more alcohol, less exercise. And that's where my pounds crept on. And, you, you know, we extend summer. So it was, you know, like six months Um, that it would just it wasn't what the other six months looked like. And so that was that was really the season that I found myself in. And and so I, I course corrected. But is that circumstantial? I don't know. So we'll, next summer, I'll, I guess I'll need a new plan because this is mm-hmm. not something I want to revisit each year. Um, Interesting. OK, so question two is there's an abundance of research that shows very modest weight loss of five to 10 percent of your body weight uh, can make a real difference in your physical health, uh, helping to promote uh, or I'm sorry, pr- protect from conditions such as heart disease, arthritis, diabetes. Um, does this sit well with you as an intuitive eating weight inclusive dietitian, or is this just bogus? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So again, I, I feel pretty hard set on that. I will never sway from my perspective that it's really, truly just changing your health habits um, and also reducing weight stigma in our society that will do us all the most good, especially those in larger bodies. So considering the data, it's probably changing health habits that, that leads to that 5 to 10% weight loss. And that's probably what is improving the physical health parameters of anyone in these studies, right? So I, I was doing some research and I'm going to put this article from Lindo Bacon, who, by the way, has the best website. Her website is just so clear and easy to understand and follow. And I'll put the article on our show notes, but it says, this is a quote from one of the, the research articles that she published. It says, While it is well established that obesity is associated with increased risk for many diseases, causation is less well established. So it's not, they're not causation studies. It's, you know, it's not cause and effect, right? Um, They're associations. So epidemiological studies rarely acknowledge factors like fitness, activity, nutrient intake, weight cycling, or socioeconomic status when considering connections between weight loss and disease, yet all play a role in determining health risk. It is likely that these other factors increase disease risk at the same time they increase the risk of weight gain. So in other words, there's really little direct relationship between improved health metrics and body fat, 
It could simply be the person is being stigmatized less when they lose weight and engaging in more physical activity, for example. Um, Plus, most of these studies are are short-term, not long-term. Very rarely do these studies look out for years and years and years. So yeah, I'll put that I'll put that link in the show notes. But yeah, I it doesn't sit well with me. I I don't necessarily trust that because they're not causation studies. They're not experimental studies. There's very few of those, really, if any. Mm-hmm. <sighs> so your thoughts? <laughs> yeah, I think it is very. I'm not going to say easy, but it is easier and more successful in terms of health status for you and I to eat intuitively because we intuitively like all foods at you know most foods at least and nutritious foods. So I guess my my question or my my struggle and dance with intuitive eating is a bit a bit is how do you apply intuitive eating to somebody who say does not like vegetables? How how does that jive with best health and improved health outcomes? when the foods that that person likes are garbage. Yeah. So someone who's just basically eating, you know, high fat, high calorie dense foods all the time is not in tune with their body. We talked about this with uh, Elise Resch when we had her on our podcast talking about um, gentle nutrition. Generally, if someone is just eating quote unquote garbage all day long, they have lost touch with their body completely. You don't feel great when you're eating crap all day long. You don't. And it takes, you know, maybe some mindfulness, meditation practices, reading the book, Intuitive Eating, really meeting with a dietitian to get those uh, principles ingrained in you to realize and become interoceptively aware of what your body is telling you to start appreciating that, oh, yeah, perhaps I should include some whole grains and you know, fruits and vegetables into my diet. And to, to someone who says they don't like any, I, I would argue that there's, I mean, I countless times people would come into my office when I used to do personal consulting where they would say to me, I don't like fruits and vegetables. And then I would just give them a list of fruits and vegetables and without fail, they could pick out at least three or four in each group, in each category. So I think people just jumped to that like, oh no, I don't like fruits and vegetables but they actually have plenty that they do and just including those and starting small. Uh, so it's just, it, it's part of the intuitive eating practice really. Mm-hmm. And, and, and once you start adding those, you realize, oh, you know what? I do feel better when I include some of these in my diet. Uh, it's, a, it's a slow progression and it's, it does take time, but it happens. Mm-hmm. I knew this episode was going to be a struggle for me. So, okay, so I have a question about okay. your recent decision to reduce or eliminate alcohol. Sure. And I know that you enjoy alcohol, but I, you've put on our Instagram page, some stuff about like the risk of breast cancers Mm -hmm. associated with alcohol. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would put in that same, like same category. There's strong correlation with processed meats and Mm -hmm. colorectal cancer. So like what's, what's the, um, I I feel like it's, it's very on trend to be um, abstaining right between January. And I, I think there's just like some sober curiosity going on yeah. in the world, which I think is, is interesting. Um, but I don't think it would be self-care for me to eliminate alcohol. Um, if I'm being honest, like, but I'm curious, like where does intuitive eating, where does it stop and where does, or, or does it not like what self-care behaviors are not in that bucket? Like, is it not self-care to 
to not to 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 stop drinking. Yeah. I don't know. I think, okay, a couple of things I want to say about that. First of all, you have to ask yourself what's motivating you to do that. If I said to you, you know what, Nicole, I've decided to quit drinking and my motivation behind that was because, you know, I've got this last five pounds I really want to lose. I've still got belly fat. That is not intuitive eating. That is dieting. Okay. Um, and that's restriction. Because I do. I love alcohol. But here's the thing too. And you said this too in a previous episode, Nicole. You said you like to drink not just because of the alcohol necessarily, but because you like the taste of beer. And I yeah. want to challenge you. If that's really true, there's some really good non-alcoholic beers out there. So I've decided that, you know what, Gina, if that's actually true, because I say the same thing. I love wine. I love dirty martinis. I love beer. And they make some really good that doesn't, you don't even notice the difference on alcoholic vodka, on alcoholic beer. I have not discovered non-alcoholic wine, but I can go without wine. I'm fine with that. And I've been enjoying it and I'm just as happy and I'm realizing there is no need. Okay, read the book, This Naked Mind, Nicole, and I promise you, you'll never take another drop of alcohol in your life. I have read this book from front to back. I've got like 20 pages left. I can't even describe to you I feel like the book is going to change my life in so many ways. It, I actually I haven't told this story, but I'll go ahead and say it. My boss, I heard uh, Annie Grace, the author of this book on a podcast. And I, I don't know what made me tell my boss about it. We were talking about drinking and I think we just had an alcohol. We, we work in food service. So we're surrounded by alcohol all the time. When we go to conferences, that's just it's like a big part of every conference you go to. Um, and I talked talk to her about this podcast with Annie Grace and she listened to it. And then she bought the book and she read the book and she hasn't had a drop of alcohol since. And let me tell you, I thought she was crazy. I was like, really? That was not my intention of telling you about this podcast. I couldn't believe she and her husband have quit drinking. So I started reading the book earlier this month and I'm going right down to where she, I'm, I'm, I'm following in her, in her footsteps. I, I, there is, I have decided wholeheartedly that I have no need for alcohol in my life whatsoever. And I can't really describe to you why or how other than just to say, read the book. And I was going to talk about it in another, in another episode, but I'll just say it now. It's the book has changed my life. I won't drink alcohol anymore, you know? And I don't want to say never. I shouldn't, I shouldn't say I won't drink alcohol anymore. There might be a time, like if we have guests over and, you know, I want to make a mocktail and I might put, you know, I might have a cocktail every once in a while, every, every once in a while, but I don't even know if that's going to happen. We'll see. I'm, I'm, I'm going to play it by ear. I'm not going to make rules. But at, at this point, I have no desire to have alcohol anymore in my life. Hmm. Yeah. So. Very <laughs> And it's not for weight loss. It's not. In fact, you know, I have at this point, I've, I've actually uh, substituted my alcohol with, my, like I said, non-alcoholic beers. I've been making lots of fancy mocktails. I feel like in a way I might actually put weight on because I'm actually making more of these fancy mocktails than I ever have before. Cause I, I kind of feel this a little bit of a loss without my cocktails. Not that I ever drank a lot by any means, but I'm finding myself trying to make more drinks for myself each night just because I know I can't have alcohol, which is the same thing that happens when you know you can't have sugar. That's all you think about. I don't even drink regularly, but yet I still find myself thinking about alcohol all the time. Like, what does that say? That I was clearly a little bit dependent on it. Um, so, but if you're thinking I, about I, it more in the absence of it, is yeah. that really the right choice? I don't know. That doesn't. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm not thinking about it like, oh, I, I, I crave the alcohol. I'm just thinking, oh, you know, it would be nice to have a glass of wine while I'm making this pasta, but I can still do that. I can still, I'm, I bought like pomegranate juice and seltzer water. I'm doing, I'm still sipping on something delicious instead of wine. 
and uh, and I'm still experimenting. But yeah, I absolutely. It's only been a couple of weeks, so. But yeah, I I have no desire to. It makes it easier because my husband is also doesn't drink alcohol, so that, that certainly makes it easier. But like my dad comes over and he he would be pissed if there wasn't beer in the fridge. So we'll still keep beer and other things in the house. Like I'm not going to make the whole house dry. But but yeah. So interesting. Yeah. To me, that that comes across as the opposite of intuitive. So I will have to read the book, I guess. I don't think I think mm, I'm not sure why that comes across as the opposite of intuitive. I guess I because still you said understand. now that you can't have it. It's all you think about and you're well, dr- doing just- it more. That's just how our minds work. I mean, when you can't have something, you think about it. But but alcohol but, is essentially poison. I mean, that's what it, what it is. Read the book and you'll and you'll understand. I mean, I hate. I, I wasn't well, going to so go there. So is half the stuff we eat. Like oh, absolutely. But if there's something that you can take away from your diet, and, and when it comes to to uh, meats and cured meats and processed meats, like I'm totally with you. I agree. Like, I try to eat those minimally as well. As do my best. Um, and I and I'm generally not someone who will say. I'm going to completely take something away from my diet. And that's why I said, like, I'm not going to, it's not like I'm at this point in my life where I'm going to say, I am not going to have any more alcohol whatsoever. I'm going to allow myself an an alcoholic beverage every once in a while. But at the point where I was now, like I'm just drinking by myself in my house. There's no point to do that. There's no point in that drinking Mm -hmm. while I'm making dinner. I don't need to have alcohol while I'm making dinner. Three alcoholic beverages a week increases your risk for breast cancer by 15%. That's my biggest fear is breast cancer. So why would I increase my risk when all I care about is making sure I get my twice a year medical, you know, um, breast exam. I'm going to the doctor to get all these extra tests, but yet I'm poisoning my body with alcohol, knowing that it increases my risk. Why would I do that? Well, but you and I both have high LDL. Are we going to cut out trans fat for the very same reason? Because we know it's, it's atherosclerosis. Like it's atherosclerotic. No, because well, that's not like I get. That's my question though. Is like when when is it intuitive eating and when is it like poor health decision? Like I don't know. Like this blows my mind. I'm not like cha- I think this is kind of where I've fallen with the intuitive eating thing. Is like and just wait and like this whole topic is we are driven by our current life circumstances, whether that's because we read a book or because we gained weight over the summer. We're adjusting to like our current influx of motivation, information. Um, yeah, just like where we are in that moment of life and we're mm-hmm. responding. So I feel mm-hmm. like so much of what we do isn't intuitive because we're learned. It's a journey, right? Like, I don't know that I just, I think like maybe this is very philosophical, but I just, I struggle with the intuitiveness of cutting out alcohol when there's other toxins in our life that we like welcome because it's part of intuitive eating. Like that doesn't sit well. Like that's very contradictory to me. Hmm. I think it's much easier to just say, I'm not going to have alcohol anymore than to meticulously look at labels and and read to see if this is high, high saturated fat, if it has any trans fat. Like, I don't look at labels and that's part well, of my intuitive eating You know if it's a journey. processed meat. I mean. Well, sure. But I don't completely eliminate it. I know that alcohol isn't good for me. I, I don't see any point of having it in my life. So but it's just is an a easy hot decision. Dog good? There's no sure, nutritional merits like, to a hot dog. To, to a year. <laughs> and I know that. Because I agree, hot dogs aren't aren't great for you. That's why I have them like when I go to a baseball game, which is like maybe once a year. 
Actually, so, I go to the football game too and get them too. This this leads me to, so my mom is the queen of this. She always goes, okay. oh, dad and I are going to go, or, or we're going to have this. We're going to have Chinese food tonight. We're going to have this tonight. It's like, and it's, it's, you know, unhealthful foods. We'll just say that. Yeah. But it's, it's not that they eat Chinese food too much or they eat this too much or that it's not any one of those things, but the culmination, the sum is that it's too, it's, it's. The scales are tipped, right? And my parents have a very, very, fairly healthful diet. But my dad would like live on fast food if he could. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, I didn't, I haven't had, you know, Burger King in a week. I'm like, no, but you had McDonald's yesterday and White Castle the day before. And this, you know, like, mm-hmm. I don't, I feel like we justify everything that we do. Mm-hmm. It's so hard. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We're getting down a rabbit me, hole. I knew this I was going to happen. No, it's Okay. <laughs> I think for me, I, I spent way too many of my years overanalyzing every food that I put in my mouth. Now I have a really good general idea. Now I have a really good general idea of what's, you know, better for my body, how my body will respond to certain foods. Uh, I don't think too much about what I eat because I really know what's best for me. It doesn't take much thinking and effort at all. Uh, and I, if I want a piece of cake, I'll eat it. For me, it's just so much easier to say alcohol doesn't play any positive role. Like, bacon every once in a while, like that, that plays a positive role in my life. Cause I, I mean, I absolutely love bacon alcohol. I, I, I can take it or leave it and why not leave it? There's, there's no reason to have it for me. That's how I feel. Hmm. Uh, so I, it's just so much easier than to meticulously think about what I'm putting in my body when in reality, I'm already just so I in, intuitive eating is just so ingrained in me. I I'm almost in flow mode at this point. So I can just, I'm in flow mode with the intuitive like eating. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. But I, I'm going to continue to dance with it. I'm not fully there. I, no, you I, need to read the book. You need to read the book. Well, I'm one, telling you. One, I'm going to send it to you. Okay. You say, no, nope, I know what you're going to say. One book isn't, yes, it will. I guarantee you'll finish that book and you'll question every time you take a sip of alcohol. Well, I question it already. It. I question it. Oh, I don't need perfect. a book to tell me it's an, a toxin. I know yes, that. Yes, you do. I'm... I, it's this book is a lot. It's it doesn't just tell you it's a toxin. It kind of talks to you about your unconscious mind and your conscious mind and all the unconscious messages that we're getting sent to us from birth. You know, that, that alcohol makes the party more fun. Alcohol makes your sex life better, which in reality, it actually makes it worse, which I already knew that it's just, disagree. Oh (laughs) Oh my gosh. This is fine. Okay. Okay. We're going on. Okay. Send me the book. Okay. I will. I will. Next question. So I recently shifted a lot of focus to mindful eating. Uh, Yeah, I know that sounds funny after all that I just said. Um, But do you think that meal planning, you know, this time of year, everybody's meal planning. Do you think that can hinder intuitive or mindful eating? For example, if we plan out what we're going to eat and perhaps when or our schedules dictate that to a great extent, does this impede intuitive eating efforts in some way? Mm -hmm. Oh, did did we skip a a question? No. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I, I, I was on a question for it. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't think that meal planning isn't part of intuitive eating. I, I absolutely think that meal planning is important and helpful for everyone, especially for those of us, including, let's just say all of us with a busy schedule. I mean, literally everyone right now is just especially busy. And if we're not meal planning, it's really hard to, you know, get those fruits, vegetables, whole grains, fill in those nutrient gaps and, and eat healthily. Right. Uh, So planning what time to eat is really another story, in my opinion. Not to say that there aren't times when that is appropriate and absolutely inevitable. I mean, I even have seasons seasons in my life when 
really, I, I, I always have, I have to eat like at 12 o'clock or five o'clock just because of, you know, after school programming or a meeting at work, whatever it is. But if possible, of course, you should let your body be your guide as far as what to eat and when to eat. But yeah, I think that meal planning does play an important role for sure. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Yeah. So this summer, um, I start, I really just kind of leaned into this and I noted the biggest takeaway that I had was that I was not hungry in the morning. And so rather than forcing the issue of breakfast, because, you know, it's ingrained in us, breakfast is so important. I would take my breakfast to work and eat when I was hungry. And the interesting thing is I would notice that that was 10, 11 o'clock in the morning, and that would shift my lunch to really odd times. And then I noticed that my dinners became smaller and smaller. And that was just what worked for me. And so it was just this aha moment for the first time that I took, I just let my body really tell me when to eat. Uh, And I know that sounds dumb, but I have never actually paid attention. I've just always gotten up and eaten breakfast. Like that's yeah. just what I did. Um, and I find that I enjoy it more and I'm potentially eating less. I, I, I think that was a huge contributor to my weight loss um, was intuitive eating and and not using the clock, but my my true hunger. And my mom has always said, food tastes better when you're hungry. And I be- yes. I believe that. It's true. It's so much more satisfying to eat a meal when your body is physiologically ready for it. Um, yeah, but I, I agree with you full, wholeheartedly. I, I think meal planning, like having an idea of a, a plan of, of what's in the house is helpful, but I would dissuade people from, and patients ask us all the time for it. Just tell us what to eat. Just tell us, oh. tell us what to eat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I'm like, that is not why I became a dietitian. It's not, but people look for that all the time. And I'm like, do you, do you even like snacks? Are you hungry? Are like, what, this is not you know, prescriptive, you, you have to learn about this stuff, um, for you. So I would just dissuade people from really kind of latching on to anything that is prescriptive in exactly what, how much, and when they're going to eat. That is just, I feel like very disruptive to intuitive eating and just following your, your health cues. Yeah, That's not self-care. That's for sure. For sure. <laughs> and time. I mean, this is the time of year that people are in the throes of diet culture, probably more than any other time of the year. So timely discussion there. All right. Our last question here. I would argue that weight loss is easier than maintaining a a weight, particularly for those who are predisposed to a larger body. In the rare instance, I work with somebody seeking weight management assistance. I often focus on weight stability because of the dangers of weight cycling. And we've talked about it a little bit in previous episodes. What do you feel are the most important health habits to instill in order to avoid the perils of weight cycling or simply to help maintain one's body weight? Yeah. So just an FYI, it's really the weight cycling that is actually detrimental to your body. And a lot of studies that show those in larger bodies may be quote unquote less healthy is because of the weight cycling oftentimes. So I shouldn't say oftentimes. It's that is definitely a large part of it. Okay. Uh, So I do agree that weight loss is easier than weight maintenance simply from what I've experienced with clients and what I've seen. Uh, at the beginning of any diet, we're motivated by the scale. And as the scale budges, it keeps us going, right? But once it stops and we are quote unquote happy, keeping up that motivation, I believe is really tough. And really your body does everything humanly possible to put that weight back on. Um, our body really does do a much better job at weight gain than weight loss. 
So to answer your question in the most simplistic way, I would say, I'd say the best health habit to instill in order to avoid the perils of weight cycling is body acceptance. And we're going to talk about body acceptance more with Christina Bruce. I'm super excited in a few weeks, actually, she'll be on our podcast. And uh, I wish I had her Instagram uh, handle on here, but she's Christina Bruce with a K and she posts a lot of motivational messages on her Instagram about accepting your body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and just to follow up with my mention of my recent weight loss, that was back to baseline. <laughs> that was not, that was not past uh, or below kind of my set point or my, my typical body weight. That's, I think a very important thing to, to mention on today's show. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I fully agree with everything that you just said, Gina. And, you know, I think as far as what's, what are important health habits to instill? I think most important is concept of all foods fit and finding ways to decrease sedentary time. Um, I do think that deprivation leads to cyclical eating patterns of weight loss and regain. I mean, there's a statistic out there that the most in uh, what is, uh, I'm going to butcher it. The most um, ah, I should have had it ready. The biggest predictor of weight gain is weight loss. That's it. Ah, uh, yeah. The biggest yes, predictor yes. of weight gain is weight loss, and that yeah. is true. Uh, and so. Just just file that away. I mean, that is uh-huh. such an important pearl to take away from the pursuit of weight loss. Um, yes, uh, I love yeah. that. Yep, it's so true. So yeah, I I, th- I think the the need for intuitive eating and just meeting those foundations of good health. So I think if you're somebody who doesn't love those healthful foods, I think it's finding ways to 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 figure it out. And it may mean at times eating something that you don't super love, but maybe it's a garnish and you learn to tolerate it and you grow in your love for it, you know, um, emphasizing whole foods, home prepared, minimally, minimally processed. So in other words, kind of cook what you eat and eat mostly perishable foods. I, I think that's um, always a good place to start and finding movement that you can enjoy. Uh, or at least tolerate. <laughs> Some people continue to tell me I just don't like any form of exercise, yeah. uh, which can be tough. So, uh-huh. anything to add for today's show? No, I don't think so. I think we went through it all and came back at the end and at a mutual agreement. <laughs> so, weight loss. So, your stance is weight loss cannot be a form of self care. That is correct. And my take is it may be situational dependent. Yeah, well, I should say, I mean, if weight loss happens when you change your health habits, then fine. That's certainly a part of self-care. But the the pursuit of weight loss simply for the weight loss is not a form of self-care. Correct. Yeah. In my opinion. Yeah. Hey, I'm snoring a whole lot less. Well, I was going to ask about that because I remember when, you, when we were a couple of years ago, when we stayed in the same room uh, at the uh, Great oh Wolf gosh. Lodge. Great Wolf Lodge. Thank you. Oh, yeah. The COVID cesspool. It was right before COVID broke out. You remember? I guess literally yeah. the February, February yeah. 2020. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> we were surrounded by strangers in an enclosed pool. Oh, gosh. Yeah. 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 That's probably where there was probably a COVID outbreak right there. Uh, probably. So I, I was going to tell you on a, on a future episode, but since you mentioned Great Wolf Lodge, you remember yeah. the aquarium, Shay's Aquarium? Oh, God. Do I remember the snoring <laughs> and the aquarium made for a fun night. Yes. So my oldest Shay has this aquarium. It's the little Einstein like f- 
fish aquarium and it's so old. So Shay's seven and a half and she had it as a baby. So it's seven and a half years old. It's so old that it it like grinds. It's like, <laughs> and it plays this God awful music and she literally snuggles it. Like she's the big spoon and the aquarium is the little spoon. And like, that is how she sleeps every night. And, and then she'll turn it on when it turns off. Like she wakes up to turn it back on. Yeah. And then it's it shines a, lights. It's a major problem. And so every time we talked about get, getting rid of it, yeah. She would just burst into tears. And I was like, okay, not tonight. You know, but we would talk about, okay, you're a big girl now. How are you ever going to have a sleepover? You know, how are we going to go on a plane, Shay? Like we would have all these conversations about it. Gina, we are a week without the aquarium. Nice. Oh, good. And it was her decision. <laughs> oh, good. I'm so glad. <laughs> it, it's Is a good she thing. sleeping okay? Yeah. I bet she's yeah. sleeping better. Not waking up every five minutes to turn that thing on. It gives me hope that she's going to be able to ride a two-wheeler because she just does things in her own time. You know, when Piper yes. was potty trained through the night and Shay was like, what? Piper, my my sister who's two years younger is potty trained? Done. She was done that night. Yes. Yes. Okay. These Good kids, they keep us on our toes, man. But yeah, the wow. aquarium's done. I thought you would be glad to know. I'm very, I'm proud of her. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe now that you're not snoring as much and there's no aquarium in the mix, maybe we'll share a room again. <laughs> Maybe, maybe. (laughs) Oh, do we have a review? We do. Am I reading it? Go for it. All right. So this is from Jill E. S. Oh, whatever. Jill E. S. T. R. Okay. Great discussion. As someone interested in dietetics and nutrition, I find this podcast very enjoyable and thought provoking. Thank you, Jill. All right. So coming up on February 6th, we will be dishing with Christina Bruce about body acceptance versus loving your body and counseling on ditching diets when you have thin privilege? And do you have true body acceptance if you get Botox and breast implants, for example? Cannot wait for that. Until then, keep in touch with us on social media at Dietitians Dish Podcast on both Facebook and Instagram. And check out all of our episodes and show notes on our website, dietitiansdishpodcast.com. Also, please tell your friends about us. They can find us on numerous outlets, such as Overcast, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Pocket Cast. If you listen on iTunes, be sure to leave us a review. We promise it only takes a few seconds. All right. Until next time, everyone, be well. And Nicole, will talk to you soon. Take care, Tina. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening for the podcast. Bye-bye.